0: Amanda and others who've set up. So, we are looking last week and this week at experiencing community in groups. So, we looked last week at Old Testament, just three places in the Old Testament, because we are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And everything we do here, we want to root it in Scripture. And I mentioned last week that sometimes when we're looking at groups, different churches are, that we kind of take a practical or pragmatic approach and we're trying to meet felt needs and all of those things are wonderful, but we looked last week to see that community and groups flow out of God, flow out of the very heart of God. We read some of the the passages and I read some quotes. We read one, commentator who said that relationship is at the center of God's being. And so I just want us I want to remind us over and over again, as you participate in a group, as you lead a group, I want us to have a God centered vision of this, that'll make your group rich, to help you get through some tough times, you can realize, hey, I am partnering with God. In this group, I'm partnering with the Lord Jesus. So, this is what we're going to do today. Um, I want us to look in the New Testament at just a few places. And again, Connie mentioned we're going to end early, so you've got time to sign up and go out and get some sugar in your body. So, we have lots of yummy things out there to eat. So, last week we looked at the idea that community flows from the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or community. We look briefly at Genesis 2, the idea that you and I are created for community. It's not good for us to be alone. It's good for us to be in relationship with other people. And then we looked at that verse in Ecclesiastes 4 that said that a cord of three is not easily broken. So in our groups, we're going to have cords of three. You, someone else, other people, and the presence of God. So today I want us to look at three places. I want us to look actually at the Gospels. And the first thing I want us to to see is that Jesus demonstrates the power of experiencing community in groups. So if you want to look at your Bible, Mark 3, verses 13 through 16. And I'm just going to make three points. We're going to talk about Jesus. Then I want us to look at the book of Acts. See the early church in action, and then lastly, I want us to look at an example in Paul, so that we see, in a brief overview, that experiencing community in groups is rooted in Scripture. Nothing new. This is something that's been going on for some time. Immensely practical. So Mark 3:13 through16. and I'll just make a couple of points here. Jesus illustrating the power of groups here. Jesus went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve. And he also named them apostles. To be with him. And to be sent out to proclaim the message. And to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve. So we see right here, In the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus used groups to form and mobilize disciples. Look at this, though. There's something in here that is absolutely fascinating, and I think it speaks to where we are as a church. Look at verse 13. He goes up to the mountain, of course, to pray. He's a person of prayer, and so he's showing us really his secret in establishing a group, the first thing he does is what? Goes to seek the Father, to spend time in the Father's presence. Father, who do you, who, who are you highlighting? Who needs to be in my group? And the Father speaks, 12 particular people. So he calls them. Look at this verb, he called to those he what? Wanted. So there's something In Jesus' group, he wanted them. There was desire in his heart. Because he was overflowing with love and compassion, he saw the vision, the destiny in them. So he wanted them, just like we want people in our groups. And then this, to me, is the crux of the whole passage. He appointed and named them to go get busy and active in ministry. Is that what it says? He appointed them... To what? What's the text say? To be with him. So Jesus is showing the secret of his group first and foremost. I'm picking you 12 so that you can be with me. Later on in John 15 and other places he's going to say you're my friends. I've called you into a place of friendship and intimacy. So I want us to ponder this that in our groups first and foremost whatever it is out of these 27 groups we get to be with the Lord Jesus we expect him to be there whatever the group is whatever the group is doing the Lord Jesus is giving us an opportunity to be with him and I tell you what that's what people are hungry for you're hungry for that I'm hungry for that and it's what people outside the church Are longing for is to encounter the presence of Jesus. There's no one like him. It's the essence of our groups. And then what's he do? After he calls them to be with him, it's only then that he sends them out. He gives them authority. But that first thing is in place. Reminds me of what Jesus says in Mark 12. The great commandment is what? Church. Love the Lord. That's what Jesus is Underscoring here in his own example, you're called to be with him, to love him. And only then are you filled with power and authority and sent out. This is going to inform our groups. This is the model. Anyone do it better than him? I'm not aware of anyone. Just think about it for a moment. I've mentioned it before. Jesus is from the armpit of the Middle East. He's in Nazareth. In his day, what did they say about Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. The place, the people. And Jesus turns human history upside down through a group. 12 people. One of them bailed on him. The rest of them were a bunch of knuckleheads, and yet this is how he changed the course of human history was through a small group, through prayer, through calling them to be with him. So what potential do we have in our groups? Unbelievable. We expect Jesus to be there. Flip over very quickly. Look at Matthew 18, 20. This is a verse that has an interesting context here, but I just want to show a a principle in here, along with Mark 3. It's a well-known verse, Matthew 18, verse 20. And the context is actually Jesus talking about how we restore a brother or a sister who's in sin. Bless you. As well as the power of prayer and forgiveness. But Jesus says something here, that speaks directly to groups, to small groups, to community. The text says this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is one of those Mardell sticker or magnet verses, isn't it? But you know what? It is profound. It's okay to laugh. Bad dad joke here, so it's okay to laugh. Um, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Think about this in the context of your group. Two or three people, the presence of Jesus is there. So the second thing I would add to this, Jesus formed and mobilized disciples in groups. The second is that we experience more of Jesus in a group with other people. I'm not saying that. That's what the deck says. So two or three, yes, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have access to Jesus. His presence is with us and in us. We're baptized into him. But something special happens when we come together. Two or three of us. And the presence of Jesus is manifest there. Encouragement. I experience this regularly. This Tuesday, we gathered a little small group like we do on Tuesday mornings. Connie and Mike and I, so I guess three of us were there, and I would say we were all pretty uh, in need of a touch from God, and we experienced Matthew 18 20. My tanks were pretty low. We're all kind of cleaning the sleep out of our eyes and saying, another week, and the presence of Jesus was with us. Before it was over, Mike was up here on the carpet on his back, the presence of God washing over him, and We were praying for each other. This is going to be what we do in our groups. The presence of Jesus with us. A second thing, if you're not convinced that groups are a great idea and they're rooted in the New Testament, look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter two. The book of Acts also illustrates the power of community in groups. This is a well-known passage, a key passage for us here at Our Lord's, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. And the context here is the day of Pentecost, and it is an amazing day. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The Apostle Peter stands up to explain, hey, these people aren't drunk. They're filled with joy. They're filled with the presence of God. Prophetic activity is happening. So he's explaining what's happening. And then he gives a message about Jesus, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And he calls for people to respond. And 3,000 people respond. So this passage speaks to the power of community and groups. Let's read it. Acts 2, 41 through 47. Then I just want to glean two things from it. Acts 2, 41 to 47, so those who welcomed his message, Peter's message, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this text here says many things, but one thing in particular, groups help integrate new believers. Look at verse 41. I mentioned this, but the Apostle Peter is standing up. I love this. Peter had just a few days before, less than two months prior to this, he had denied Jesus. He folded. He cursed Jesus around the campfire. And look what happens to him. Month and a half later, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with courage, forgiven, reinstated. Goes from the knucklehead with weak faith to the great apostle. The Lord uses broken people, it's amazing. So at verse 41 we see 3,000 people respond to his message. And you can imagine behind the scenes, they're going from 120 to 3120 instantly. You know, they're human behind the scenes. I'm sure they're saying, Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, what do we do? You showed us how to do groups of 12, maybe 70, but we got three grand who just joined. What do we do? Help us, Lord. And so groups become the way for the church to literally integrate and graft in these new believers. Look at verse 44, all who believed were together, they had all things in common, so they're living life together, they're doing life together. And then look at verse 47, they're praising God, they're having favor with the people. Verse 46, they're breaking bread at home with one another. So, this is the way the early church did it. Jesus modeled it. The early church said, hmm, I think that's a pretty good idea. How did he do it? They begin to implement it. So, community, small groups, helps the church integrate new believers. Does anyone around here want to see some new believers? Church, are you hungry for that? I know you are. I interact with you, we talk through the week. There is a growing Hunger in me to see people come to Jesus. And I think that Jesus has given us a wineskin that can contain that. There's something in place now. Connie and Mike have both said this over the months. I don't know what we would do if we saw several hundred people come to Jesus. We're just not ready. Our lords were ready. We're ready. The Lord in his grace has helped us. All hands on deck. We're an army, not an audience. And so things are ready for new believers to come in. I think we're gonna see it. I know we're gonna see it. The Lord builds his church, right? So Acts two shows us that community and groups helps to integrate new believers. A second thing that it does, look at verse 42. This may be one of those church tattoos that we could get, Acts 242. What's that on your wrist, Ronnie? Acts 242. I don't like tattoos, so no. I don't have any tattoos on my body, but maybe a temporary tattoo, I would wear it with Acts 242 on it. The point is, this is a key passage. This is something that we've done. If you're a C group leader, a D group leader, we've talked about Acts 242 over and over again, and we're going to continue to do that. Look at what Acts two forty two says, as these new believers are coming in, what does the church do? The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Simple, four things they're giving themselves to. Simple, but profound. And I, again, I want us in these groups, No matter what the group is doing and focusing on, they're all spiritual. All of our groups are going to be led by people filled with the Holy Spirit in prayer and to some measure, some of these elements are going to be taking place in our group, some more obvious than others. But look at the apostles teaching at 242, what is that? It's an obsession with the person of Jesus. That's what the apostles' teaching is. It's talking about him, his incarnation, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, the ascension. And at our Lord's, we are going to be obsessed with that. What is the apostles' teaching? The great mystery, each one of these things that we could spend an entire life praying into, pondering, meditating, talking with others about it. So our groups running through the middle of it will be the apostles' teaching, the scriptures, this desire to know and experience more of God. A second thing, Acts 2.42, fellowship. This certainly will happen in all the groups, won't it? Koinonia. Koinonia. And again, where does koinonia come from? The very presence of God. If you were here last week, I put up an icon of the Holy Trinity. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are koinonia. So in our groups, we're going to recognize that fellowship, that koinonia flows from God. It's community, it's fellowship, it's friendship with one another. And you are such amazing people that I know in your groups, they're going to exude fellowship and friendship and people are gonna wanna be in your group. A third thing, the breaking of bread, and it says there at 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and then it reiterates at verse 46 that they broke bread at home. Many layers to this here. The first thing the early church did was they shared meals together. They liked to hang out and eat. In the ancient world, they called it table fellowship. And so they would sit around and share a meal, and it was modeled after the Passover. They would sit with friends, with family, share a meal. And then at the end of the meal, they would take bread and wine and give thanks. And so the early church continued this practice. They watched Jesus do it, they had seen it modeled in the temple, they had seen it modeled in homes. So in our groups, we will often break bread. Some of the groups, it may, that may be the essence of it. They may just share a meal together. There may be an opportunity for prayer. Other groups will have the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, when we get together. So that's a third thing. Finally, another thing that strengthens the church is the prayers. So the early church, was, they were people of prayer. And it was something that they had seen Jesus do. He often slipped away to pray It says that the prayers, because they were often still going to the synagogue, to the temple, to participate in the daily prayers. They were people of prayer, and our groups, likewise, are going to reflect that. We're going to cling to Jesus. We're going to pray. Lord, take us deeper. Lord, grow our group. Lord, show us who you want to bring. A final thing before we break here early is that Paul also, could look at many of his letters, and I just want to point out one place. Paul emphasizes the power of community in groups. For those of you that want to go back and look at this, I'm not going to go into these passages, but I'm just going to mention a few where Paul speaks of experiencing community in small groups. You could leaf through all of his letters and find evidence of this. But in Romans 16, he talks about a group that met in Priscilla and Aquila's home. He does it again in 1 Corinthians 16. As the letter ends, he talks about the church, the small group that met in Priscilla and Aquila's home. Then in Philemon, Paul mentions the church that meets in Philemon's home. These are small groups. These aren't massive houses like we see today. Usually these groups, it would be probably between 10 and 30 people, depending on the size of the house. One final place, Colossians 4.15, Paul mentions a lady named Nympha and says, greet the people in your house church. So Paul demonstrates the power of this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll end with these couple of references here, and then you can go sign up for your group or be indecisive. Maybe stand with the catalog and go, hmm, how can I be in these six groups? I'm joking. I do see about six that I would love to be involved in. Amanda, is that okay if I join six groups or? (laughs) First Corinthians 12, we're gonna look here and then one other place and just see where Paul is highlighting The power of community in groups. Before we do that, the church and the early church would have met in a larger setting. Usually someone would open their home up, a larger home where about 50 people could get together, but then all during the week they would have a weekend celebration and then all during the week, they met in one another's homes, just like we're going to. And so when Paul is giving these instructions here, they're actually for when the church gets together on a Sunday, but it also would have spoken to the house churches. And so Paul is giving them instruction and order and coaching and explanation of what to expect. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, Paul, speaking about the church, the body of Christ, meeting in home, says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good." So Paul is saying here that in groups, when the church comes together, we experience the Trinity the presence of the Trinity. Look at what it says here. This is evidence here of the early doctrine of the Trinity. Look at verse four, gifts, the same spirit. The next phrase at verse five, services, the same Lord. The next verse, verse six, varieties of activities, but the same God. So Paul is suggesting to the church when you get together in your group the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are with you doing what they do, activating gifts, revealing the beauty, the glory of the person of Jesus. So when we gather together we're going to see this kind of variety and unity in our groups, the activity of God. All 27 of these groups we're going to be saying, Lord, would you demonstrate your presence? Would you manifest your presence? This text here, as we like to say, everyone plays. Do you see it? Look at verse 6. Varieties of activities, and it's God who activates what? All of them in who? Everyone. So this passage here shouts to us in our groups, everyone gets to participate. Everyone gets to play. Very quickly look over at one passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25. We're going to end with this. Just as we look at how our groups are based on the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 14, just two verses, 24 through 25. Paul is continuing to talk to the church and give them very practical instructions, coaching on how and what to do when the church gathers together. And he's talking about the spiritual gifts, but he's talking about prophecy in particular. Because he said earlier in the chapter, desire spiritual gifts, but especially what? That you may prophesy. So he wants all of the gifts functioning in an orderly way, and he wants all the people of God to hear from God and report what they're hearing. So verse 24, but if all prophesy, an unbeliever or an outsider who enters is reproved by all and called to account by all. After the secrets of the unbeliever's hearts are disclosed, that person will bow down before God and worship God, declaring God is really among you. do some of our group leaders want to see things like this and to have people say, God is among you? So really what Paul is saying, in addition to experiencing the presence of the Trinity and seeing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying through community in groups, outsiders are going to encounter God. And so Paul is showing us this kind of missional emphasis in the groups, all of our groups, should be looking outward, no matter what they are. Even if we're studying the scriptures together, what are the scriptures saying to us in the book of Philippians, about having our eyes riveted on the person of Jesus, and then being sent out to share his message, to share the message of the kingdom. And look at this, Paul is expecting this to happen. He's saying, when you come together, and you're hearing God, The Lord will whisper things to you and you'll have the opportunity to share that with unchurched people, with people that are visiting, that are coming. And what does it do? What impact does it have on them? Their heart is like opened up and they end up experiencing the presence of God, the love of God. I've seen this happen over and over again. I've seen people get invited into a small group and the people there are trained and know how to pray for one another and do it in a very loving and casual way. And I've watched people pray for someone visiting that group and the Lord demonstrates his love for that person and calls things out in them and speaks words of healing and comfort. And I've watched it over and over again where that person says, I've never experienced Anything like this. I've traveled the world. I've done all the drugs there are out there. I've done everything and I have not experienced this right here. What is this? And we get to say, Jesus is here. And he still speaks. And he loves you. And he knows your heart. And he knows your history. And he loves you big time. So this will be happening in our groups Does that get you fired up? Certainly does me. So, to recap here, we're going to follow the example of Jesus. If Jesus used groups to form and mobilize his disciples, we're going to. And we're going to remember as we do it, we're not called to activism. If you're a group leader, please hear me. All right, We're going to have you stand in a few minutes so we can pray for you, but please hear me, group leaders. You are are called first and foremost to be with Jesus. Intimate friendship is what leads to ministry. Group leaders called to be with Jesus. If you start to slip into a place of anxiety and activism and you're disconnected from Jesus, we're going to have one another saying, Hey, how's it going? Are you staying connected to him? Are you sitting at his feet? Are you listening to him, letting him fill you with his spirit? Secondly, here, we're going to follow the example in the early church. It's how they did it, it's how they integrated new believers, and it's how they strengthened the church by devoting themselves to those four things. And then finally, according to Paul's instruction, we're going to see the manifestation of the spirit for the common good and do it according to biblical teaching. And then we're gonna see the prophetic touch people's lives. Everyone is called to participate and everyone, all of us, all Christians are called to hear from God and to share that with other people. So Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the fresh vision Lord, I thank you for your word this morning that you lay it all out here for us. It's all here. Thank you for that, Lord. There's no guesswork. There's no coming up with some new plan. You have spoken. And you give us power. You give us instruction and power and authority. So we give thanks to you this morning for what you're doing among us.